You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. You've got a Bible with you. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Romans. We are back in Romans, and it feels like we've just been sputtering to get going, and that's okay. There's been a lot of things going on the past month, but here we are. Lord willing, we'll just keep going through through this, and we're going to be in verse 18. I've got a picture from Owen from last week. Do we have Owen's picture up here? There it is. Where's Owen's? Somewhere. There he is. Okay. Now, this is from... Two weeks ago, so I've got, there's some, there's some other ones uh, from last week you can look at from when Nathan spoke. This is Paul, and he's writing to the Romans. Owen's got him at his desk writing this letter, and that's good and helpful, Owen, for us to remember, because this is a letter. This isn't, um, we talk about books of the Bible. This is a book of the Bible, Romans, but it's written somewhere. It's a letter. Paul's actually writing to a place, to the Romans, to a people in, as we've said before, very similar cultural setting, immorality, all these sorts of things, and that's who he's, he's writing to and helping them, and so we want to hear from that. So thank you, Owen, and for all that are drawing here. Let's look at our text. Hopefully by now you're in Romans chapter 1, and I want to just read. Um, it, there's kind of, it, it's part of a section here, but we're just going to do 18 through 23 today and then continue on. And really, I think I'll say it during the sermon, this is all building up towards chapter 3. So we're just starting with the building blocks, and it's just kind of going to crescendo in 3.20 and then into 21 there. But that's, we're kind of, well, we're already into it from verses 16 and 17, but now now really uh, this part of it and the wrath of God that you're going to see. So let's, let's look at God's Word beginning in verse 18. I'll just read through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things let's go to the lord again Father, I just pray right now that you would graciously work through your word, through these few verses that we've just read, to work again through our hearts. Work into my heart as I preach this. Work into the hearers that they would hear from your spirit through your word. It's it's your word. It's this revelation before us that is so gracious to us to tell us of our great need and our great Savior. You are all glorious and all gracious, our Lord, and I pray that your Spirit would work amongst us as you have already been doing this morning um, to work in us that which is good, pleasing to you, to have eyes of faith to see you in a greater way today and to see our sin, and I pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, God, in his word here and through the Apostle Paul, wants us to see just why it is that we need saving. Why do we need saving? The, the gospel, we looked at the last time I was preaching, we looked at Paul being not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And so the question is, what do we need saving from? What's the salvation? What's the saving? And in our futile thinking, as we read, our darkened hearts, maybe we'll just reason, well, we're not that bad off. Like, nobody's perfect. Or maybe you're just compared, you know, compared to you-know-who down the road. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm doing way better than they are, most certainly. Uh, sure, I need saving, you know, I, I guess. But savings for the, those really, you know, they're, they're really the down and out. I want to show you a, a, just a picture this morning. I... Um, Maybe if you're into fishing, which I'm not really. I like to catch fish, but here's two fishermen down the river. You can see them up there. Okay, very good. Uh, I like this picture. Here's two guys by a stream. All looks really good. Peaceful day of, I think it's fly fishing. I think it's in Alaska. This was in People magazine somewhere. If you zoom out, okay, let's go to the next one. If you zoom out, here's the danger. Um, now, it's not really dangerous if you read about it. It's a brown bear, and apparently brown bears don't eat people. You know, just the grizzly. So, okay, but go along with it. Say this is a grizzly, and say they're in danger, and they are oblivious to it. They don't even know what's behind them. Now, the photographer says, you know, in reality, they turned and were like, oh, it's a bear, and they kept, fit. I don't know. But, but here's this danger right behind without their knowing it, and you see this. And at, perhaps at this moment, you yelled to these guys. You said, you, you guys need saving. You're in danger. They'd say, what, what danger? What do we need saving from? From what? And so I use this picture just to illustrate for you this, this idea of being unaware of danger. But in Romans where we're at, God's Word is graciously revealing to us His righteous wrath against mankind. It's way greater than a bear on a shore. And the warning continues, and as I said, it's going to continue and grow till we get to that eclipse of 320 and into 321 in that chapter of Romans. And Paul is revealing here just what danger man is in who is under the, this wrath of God. And he's going to take an axe. He's going to take an axe to self-righteousness, to self-sufficiency, He's going to cut it down so that we have no... So this is just a cutting movement so that we have no righteousness other than Christ, who we just sang about, yet not I but Christ in me. So let's get into our text and look at this as we study it. Verse 18, let's begin there. Let me read it again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let's think on wrath here for a moment. What does the wrath of God mean? I always, I'm always so thankful for Scripture, commentating on Scripture. So a couple places. Exodus 22, uh, verse 24, speaks of God's wrath. It speaks of it in this way, a, a burning uh, and retribution for wrong. There's a burning about a wrong. Uh, chapter 32, when Israel had made that golden calf of idolatry, they had worshipped it. Here's what God said to Moses. He says, Now therefore let me alone that my, my wrath, 
may burn hot against them and I may consume them. So you've got this idea, this idea of hot anger, fierceness, punishment, judgment. And thus, you know, maybe the picture of the the burning fire is appropriate for this. So in the wrath of God, there's both, there's an aspect of punishment, of burning anger towards who? Towards the ungodly and the unrighteous. Now, there's a couple ways to look at who the, this against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Some, I think, would, would just put it together and say it's just, it's a way of just saying, you know, this in, as a whole. I, I like, and so I don't have to be dogmatic, but I like how Steve Lawson sees these words. I think it's interesting, worth thinking about. These words of ungodliness and unrighteousness. He says they both, there's, there's both a, a vertical component describing ungodliness. So if you think of that in, as a vertical, he says, says this, quote, irreverence towards God, that's what ungodliness is, and this is where everything begins. Your failure to take God seriously, your failure to commit your life to God, your failure to live for the glory of God, that's his way of defining ungodliness unrighteousness then is that aspect of man's conduct his his lawlessness in sin his immorality and Lawson sees this as breaking the law of God the unrighteousness in summary you could say I think and he does I think it's a it's our failure to live in light of how Jesus summarizes the commandments remember that I think this one's from Matthew you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's from Matthew chapter 22. God's wrath is turned against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But my question here, the nagging question on my mind as I've studied this is, how is it revealed? It says there, the wrath of God is revealed. So in what, in what way? I mean, we, we don't see, at least for the moment, we don't see fireballs coming out of heaven right, right now. Or we don't see God per se in His anger. So how is, this, how is it revealed? A couple things here, just in context there's a duplicate word back in verse 17 there it's the righteousness of god was revealed from faith for faith so there's a revealing of righteousness now in verse 18 paul's aim is at this wrath that's being revealed to the ungodly and unrighteous and it's a present revealing the the verb the tense of the verb here is it's being revealed it's be it's not it will be or it has been it it is. Now, Romans chapter 2 is going to talk about a future, a future wrath. There is coming this, the, the day of wrath. And there's, there's a storing up of wrath now, and then there's that day of wrath. So there is, there is future, but there's also this present revealing of wrath. And how is this? How, how do we see this? How is it revealed? And I offer, I think there's two ways here. One is it's revealed um, in the last... Perhaps the last line of verse 18 is helpful. It says there, um, it's revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
mankind, and when you hear man, I mean men, women, everyone, in their sin, man suppresses God's truth. And when the truth of God is suppressed, what happens to thinking? It's futile. Hearts are darkened. We're going to see that in verse 21. In other words, I think here God's wrath is revealed in the very sinfulness of mankind that we see around us, in the the truth suppressing, in the God denying, in the foolish thinking ways of man. There's a sense in which that wrath is, is revealed in this. Here's what Doug Moo says. He says this, particularly, and we're going to get to verses 24 and 28 and, and on next week, particularly as those verses suggest, the wrath of God is now visible in his handing over of human beings to their chosen way of sin and all its consequences. So the truth suppressing sinful consequences of man reveal a present wrath of God. In addition, I think there's another aspect to this. And what's so helpful, I think, is in this particular section that we just read, it's repeated over and over and over. It's revealed here. Um, you see this, this idea of God making himself known. It's plain. He's shown it. It's been clearly perceived. All these sorts of things. And though we'll see, yes, man's been given over to futile thinking. He's got a darkened heart. There is enough to know. It's been revealed to him, every man, woman, boy, and girl, of the deserving of God's wrath on sin. Look, just gaze down or wherever you find verse 32 says this, though they, you know, the, these, the, uh, the ungodly, the unrighteous, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. I think there's that idea of revealed wrath. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Why are there so many religions in the world? And yes, I, I think that there's that song and that it's true. We are made to work. There's a sense of worship and a and everyone except worshiping Christ is in the wrong and false. But why so many? And I think this idea of wrath is, answers that. I think man, mankind understands there's some sort of wrath that must be appeased. You know, be it a false god, but we've got to appease that god somehow. It's like it just built into us. To those without Christ, it's got to be appeased by, by them. And I think this, this can prove, though, I mean, it doesn't need proving, but God has revealed His wrath, both in the, sin, the consequences of sin, in the heart. And trying to suppress the truth of God's wrath will just not do. He continues to make Himself known. I, someone was using this illustration for something else, but it's that, that idea of the, you know, holding the beach ball underwater, a good tight, you know, not, a, not an unaired one, not a flat one, a good you know, you just try to hold it down, see how long you can keep it on the water, and it just keeps popping up. I think God just keeps revealing himself. Though mankind says, I don't want to hear that. Don't give me God. Oh, I don't even believe in God. He's not even real. And it's, but it's in there. It's revealed. It's plain to them. Look at verse 19. That's what it says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. This particular four, F-O-R here, it's the sixth one since verse 16. And I think it, it just further explains this wrath of God being revealed from heaven. Uh, in terms of verse 19, you've got God. He's showing Himself uh, to man. 
Even just think about this, just briefly think about what this means, that God has shown himself to man. Isn't even this his grace to reveal himself? I think we see that grace. Otherwise, we would never know. His grace reveals himself to man. Theologian uh, Louis, Louis Louis Burkhoff says this, All our knowledge of God is derived from His self-revelation in nature and in Scripture. So unless God chooses to reveal Himself, mankind cannot know Him. But in His grace, He's making Himself known, even making His wrath known. You You could say even that is gracious to make it known. He's the, you know, the, the lion, the bear with the wrath, and it's even known in the heart. It's, it's gracious, but it's there. There's wrath. Now, it is true. Look, look at verse 20. Let's look at this one. For his, then it continues. God has shown it to him, and then just continues this thought of him revealing himself. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now it's true, God can't be seen to us just with the the naked eye, but He's revealed to man what's called here invisible, these invisible attributes, this eternal power, this divine nature. And it's through creation, through what has been made, that God reveals Himself. You might, when you think of this, how does creation reveal? You might just automatically go to psalm 19 verses 1 through 2 let me read it and just ponder this in light of god's revealing of himself through what he has made it says this the heavens declare the glory of god and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge Creation does not reveal everything of God. For that, we're going to need God's Spirit working to understand God's Word, the Scriptures. And so there's a distinction in theology. We think of there's a distinction of general, what's called general revelation. That's the the knowing of God through creation and also in our own conscience. There's that kind of knowing God, that general revelation. That, I think, is in play here. And then there's that special revelation that we know of God and His eternal plan of salvation through His Word, through the Bible. As to God's eternal power, here's a couple places that just speak of that. Jeremiah 10 speaks of God making the earth by His power. Psalm 68, 34 speaks of God whose power is in the skies. Isaiah 40, verse 26 is where God brings out the host of heaven calling them by name and it says, the host of heaven, call it, they're all by name and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Creation reveals the power of God to, to all. And it reveals his divine nature. Mankind did not invent this idea of God. God has made his divine nature known. Paul confirms, Acts 17, he says, God is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. Creation reveals this Creator and it echoes and testifies to God. 
so man is without excuse. Verse 20 says, these things have been clearly perceived and thus man, they are without excuse. Man cannot claim to have never heard or known about God and go before the Lord. I don't know. I, you're telling me now you're wrathful, but I never heard about it. I never knew. It was never revealed to me. There is no excuse. Man's accountable. Man knows his sin and his deserving of God's wrath. Even though outwardly they might say, I don't even believe in God. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. But suppressing truth of God has its effects. Look at the effect here in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Two things happen here. Happen at the moment of abandoning the glory of God. And I would say we can trace them back to Adam and Eve and that fall in the garden. Their thinking became futile. Their hearts became darkened. Another way to define thinking here, I think, is that the ESV... uh, uh, they became futile in their thinking. Another way is like a, the process of the, their reasoning. So humanity lost this ability to think rightly, to reason well, and thus became fools. Futile thinking. It's, it's not because somebody's not completed high school or you haven't gone to college, then that's futile thinking. No, it comes by one who disregards God. That's where that comes from. And then further, abandoning the light of the Lord leads to darkened hearts. That fruit in the garden, it looked, you know, you can go back and look, it looked so good. It looked so delightful. It could make one wise. But in fact, Eve and Adam with her were made fools. This occurs, Genesis 3 verse 7 occurs right after that. Remember what happened? The eyes were open. They saw, but what did they see? The eyes of both were open and they knew that they were Naked. Shame. Guilt. God's wrath was revealed. They, in fact, they saw their shame and their nakedness. What promised to be light for them looked delightful and will make wise. It'll be light and it's darkness. And so without a work of God, men and women, all of us are lost in mind and heart. But it's not a loss to excuse and say, well, you're, you're just, you got a darkened heart. No. God's revealed Himself and yet they suppress the truth. Just one example of this suppressing of truth. I'm going to quote from the Minnesota Humanist Organization. Um, I pray you are not a member of this. Uh, it's called the Humanist MN, you know, Humanist of Minnesota. And when answering the question, what do humanists stand for? What's a humanist? Here's, what, here's part of the answer. We rely on the physical and social sciences, critical thinking, and analytical history to understand the world. And elsewhere, they answer the question, what's the meaning of life? In part, they say this. Think about this disregard as I read this for God. We can feel awe at the wonders of the universe while counting on science to explain them to us. This is what it looks like to not honor 
God. Now give thought to him, but to say, well, if we can figure this out. We've got science. We've got all this. We'll figure it out. And no thanks to God. All right, lastly, let's look at verses 22 and 23. Let me read them together. Claiming to be wise. Can you not hear the humanists of Minnesota saying, we are wiser than all you foolish people at church this morning? All right, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's the opposite of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it confirms fools despise wisdom and instruction. Thus, those who run from God claim their own self-wisdom, as I read about here, who don't honor God. They're bound to foolishness. And so verse 23 puts it in terms of this exchange of glory from the immortal God to images of creation. It's a glory exchange. And we'll see also in verse 25, they're going to exchange the truth about God for a lie. There's just this exchange going on. God is described here. Do you see how he's described in verse 23? Immortal. Just to expound on that, this is, this is God's inability. Think about this of the God we worship, his inability ever to be destroyed, corrupted, or ruined. God is the undestroyable one. He's the unruinable one. He's the unspoiled one. And what does sinful man run after? Images of man. And birds, animals, maybe your version says four-footed creatures, creeping things. Psalm 106.20 puts it this way, similar wording where it's bringing to mind, I believe it's the Israelites and the golden calf, and it says there, they exchanged the glory of God. This is a psalm. Psalm 106, maybe Paul's kind of thinking back towards this. They exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. And we, we, we look at that from afar and just go, how foolish. How, how could you ever do that? You would exchange this God for that? Maybe we haven't seen any golden calves around Leroy or in your neck of the woods. But images... I think are still around. Idolatry. This exchange of God's glory, giving Him glory for the want and the rule of other things around us. I think it still exists. Now, let me just give a sampling. So let's show this, Caleb. It's a sampling. Maybe these are images I pulled off the internet. You've got, you, I, what's amazing is we all know them without any English there. Starbucks, McDonald's, Pastor Paul talked about the fries, so, you know, Pepsi, Domino's, whoosh, swoosh. You might be asking, okay, Pastor Mike, are you saying worshiping a golden calf? If you order coffee at Starbucks, that means that you are worshiping a golden calf or you wear Nike shoes or you enjoy a Pepsi. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But God warns us of images. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. This is just, just a little sampling of the images of everything, let alone our own self-image and what that looks like. They're all around. And we're prone to exchange God's glory and serve, bow down and serve these images. Now, maybe you don't serve at the altar of McDonald's, 
But if it's just, i got to have that, maybe that's worth considering. Or any a, a million other things. Paul Tripp puts it this way. Good things become bad things when they become ruling things. Have you heard that before? From Good things become bad things when they become ruling things. So the question is, what glory are you after? What has your attention and your affections? As Paul Tripp would encourage, consider even what your spending says about what you glory in. What do you give your time to? What do you think about most often? What do you think about when you don't have stuff you have to think about? What, what comes to mind? It's really the question of what is ruling our heart. Images of man, things that will eventually fade, or the unfadable one, the undestroyable one, who is the Lord. God has made himself known to every human heart. And so every one of us is without excuse. We might suppress, we might try to run away, we might hide the truth, and yet it sticks with us that in our sin we are deserving of this wrath, this hot anger of God towards ungodliness and unrighteousness. God demands our worship. He commands it. And yet we're content to just play around with God. Just keep him at a distance. Do, I do a little bit here. And we close them off, and yet we embrace so easily images, not just of those, whatever it is, of stuff, the stuff of creation or self. The title of this sermon, and, and I think as we, I'm just going to keep it there as we go, hopefully, is Why Do We Need Saving? Paul's out to answer this question. Why do we need saving? Because unless God moves in us, we're, we all are under His wrath. We've got no excuse. He's sufficiently, He has revealed His power and His glory. And so have you, have you honored God? Have you given thanks to Him? Or where are you at this morning? Do you stand in ungodliness and unrighteousness? There is hope. We preach hope. That's why we exist. Because of this hope of the cross of Christ. Paul's going to get there. But there's no hope where we reason that well, I'm, we're pretty good. I'll, I'll just keep fishing on the shoreline. I'm okay. Maybe I need some saving somewhere here and there. May God's Word, as we go through this, may His Spirit reveal to us it's okay to take time and think on this wrath of God. Without thinking on it, we're just, I don't know what we're saved for. I guess it's just a, it's better than it was. There's wrath, there's hot anger against our sinfulness and our ungodliness. And it's ever present. What is our hope? And it's found nowhere but the Lord, but the gospel running to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we should, and, and, and we, we want to run to Christ. We want to understand the, the good news and, and where we're going to be here is just bad news for a while. Lord, I pray it, w- it would not cause us to turn off our minds towards this bad news. But help us, Lord, to hear the danger. Help us to hear about your wrath and thus that your glory and salvation is so much brighter. 
we all are under sin. We are all deserving of this hot anger against unrighteousness and ungodliness in us. And I pray we would get a taste of that through your word today, that your spirit would drive it into our heart, that the axe would cut down any self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, and we would find ourselves running to Christ. You're gracious to show us the way, Lord. We live in this hope of Christ. listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.